You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal. You have put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise, a sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us, for it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King, crowned in glory and splendor, would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. Okay, and I am not sure I thought that Mark was going to be on tonight with me, but he might be having technical difficulties or maybe just out of service at the moment. Um, so I will be here with you um, for a little bit and just until he gets on. Um, we are going to continue with the reading that we were doing last time, and I am trying to get onto it right now. Um, let's see. You can go online, um, onto Facebook and follow him and read it online. Um, or friend request. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Yep. Okay. That's weird. I had to mute myself and unmute myself in the studio. I was talking before, but you couldn't hear me. So, all right. Yeah, not so, at yeah, all. So. Um, the, uh, yeah, I was just telling them they could get online to read this. 
Yeah. Yeah, facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to be reading the Munsters. Yep. yep, and it's chapter the 12, chapter Holy 12 Priesthood, volume of 1. Priesthood, volume 4. Volume 4. Volume 4, yeah, volume 4, sorry. Yep. Okay, um, Pages 131 I am to 143 the, tonight. Yeah, and I am at the uh, rail yard uh, to dump my load of coal off, and mm-hmm. where I dump, it breaks up a lot, so I'm just going to mute myself, and I okay. should be out of here in 10 minutes. Or less. Okay. So uh, when you get to the end of the page, if I'm not there, then just keep reading. Yep, absolutely. And okay. also, uh, it, uh, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827, and there is a chat room available for people who want to call in uh, with any questions or comments. So, all right, I'll mute myself. Thanks, Kim. You're welcome. Okay, so getting right into the reading, The Monsters, Chapter 12 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 4, pages 131 to 143. It's called Defended Polygamy with Their Lives. Of several different polygamous advocates and societies, none has proved as unusual and interesting as that of John Bockelson, John of Leyden and his Anabaptist followers in Munster, Germany. During the mid-1500s, Anabaptists was given the name, was the name given to those who denied the validity of infant baptism, among other things, and were extreme left in the army of reformers. John Bockelson was born an illegitimate son of the mayor in a small Dutch town near Leiden, Holland. He was trained as a tailor, but soon ventured into other fields. He became restless and traveled throughout Europe, and later spent four years in England. He loved poetry and acting, and soon found his gift as an eloquent orator. His success came quickly when he became a preacher in the Anabaptist movement that was spreading across Holland in 1533. The leader of this new revival was Jan Matthew, who selected John for a mission to Munster, Germany, to convert the town from other Protestants and Catholics. John did just that. His success was phenomenal, and the town was soon converted to the Anabaptists. The Catholics and Protestants were at war, and John had a revelation showing him that his leader, Jan Matthew, would be killed. This prophecy was fulfilled shortly afterwards. On Easter Day, April 4th, thus John became the new religious, political, and military leader of the Munster community, and he declared himself king of the new Zion. Within two months, his little fortress consisted of 15,000 people, and when Munster was assaulted by a military force, John led his people to victory. But the male population in Munster had diminished until there were four women to every man, About this time, John announced that he had received the revelation to live plural marriage, that the ancient prophets lived it without condemnation from God, and that it would now be legal and acceptable in their community. The new doctrine raised a storm of opposition, but John said the revelation is damnation of those who refuse to accept it and threaten his opponents with excommunication. John quoted extensively from the Old Testament showing that God approved of it, and from a community that lived by the Bible, literally interpreted the case for polygamy, um, had been made. See, after polygamy was made a sin, Karen Cross, page 8. And we're, that was the, the next page was in between that paragraph. So if you have anything to say. Or you might still be out of service a little bit. That's okay. I'll continue. The people of Munster suffered from many hardships, such as war, poverty, and social upheavals. But then came polygamy, which was not introduced without some sanguinary uh, opposition and did not probably extend far beyond the circle of Buchelson and the leaders of the movement. These um, 
eccentricities were regarded by their authors as a necessary preparation for the second coming of Christ. Cambridge Modern History, Volume 2, page 226. During the 1520s, there had been several religious leaders who had periodically advocated plural marriage. They appeared in different areas of Germany, but none gained the notoriety or notoriety of the little colony of Anabaptists in Munster. The pages of German history have always been filled with the devastations of war, and naturally, wars produce a surplus of women. That surplus usually creates two possible options, uh, prostitution or polygamy. It was shortly after this critical time that Beckelson claimed to have had his vision from the Lord telling him and his followers to live plural marriage. The announcement of this controversial doctrine was made in July of 1534, and the whole community assembled in a cathedral square where polygamy was debated for hours. The majority had finally concluded that it was a Bible practice sanctioned by God, and, not too surprisingly, no men protested against it. Of course. So, much for the men. <laughs> or so much for the men. But the women might logically have denounced a trend which would put them in their place. Far from it. From the outset, they played a crucial role in the Anabaptist movement. In Munster and elsewhere, keyed to a higher emotional pitch, women are seldom absent from a mystic or revivalist explosion, especially when there is an appeal to the spirit of self-sacrifice. Even before Matthews or Matthews took over, they readily responded to the propaganda urging them to sell all they had and renounce the things of this world. They divested themselves of their rings, gold, studded girdles, and other jewelry. I wish it would tell me when there is a quote and not, but then after a paragraph, sometimes it says um, where that came from. So this says, after, oh, hold on just a second. I think that Mark is having technical difficulties because he tried to call and did not get through. But, but. Oh, there you are. Oh, sorry. Can you I hear didn't me? hear anything, and I realized my my truck had taken over my phone. So I thought oh. you were <laughs> off the air, and it was me. Stupid headset. Anyway, so, yeah, I... I I haven't been able to hear you for like a minute, but it's just, it's my phone. It, my headset disconnected for some reason, so. Well, that's a relief that it wasn't me. And then I was like, uh, hold on, he's trying to call me. So that's what they heard on the radio show. And then, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I wonder oh, if you're okay. having technical difficulties. <laughs> I'm having technical difficulties. Me. <laughs> yes. Not me. All right, well. Yeah, um, so basically these people were from Munster, Germany. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where it started out. That's why they're called the Munsters, because that's where they're <laughs> from. That's where they uh-huh. started at. Yeah. All right. So that I'll makes sense. I'll myself. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You're totally fine. <laughs> okay. So... Um, Right at the end of that paragraph, I was just about to say, that was from After Polygamy Was Made a Sin, Karn Cross, page 9. Thus, in comparatively short time, the town had solidified and and unitedly proclaimed that it was a revelation given to a righteous man. A complete and accurate account of this strange society of polygamists of Munster Germany is difficult to locate because all that remains are small portions of rare manuscripts and a few short writings by those who are prejudiced against them. One statement from an apostate comes from a Mr. Gresbeck who described polygamy in the town in the following manner. And I think this will be a quote. Yeah, this is going to be from the rebaptism of Munster K. Loeffler, page 116. Quote, there was fierce resentment in the town among the women where two or three of them lived together and shared a husband. There was no end to the abuse and bickering among them. First wife always wished to be closest to her husband, and so did the new wives. Thus, they could not get along together, and there was never any peace. Complaints streamed in every day to to the prophets, the preachers, and the 12 elders. At first, the, the authorities put the refractory wives in prison, but in vain. 
then Rotman brandished the much graver threat of the sword, which cowed them for a time, end quote. That, again, is from the Rebaptism of Munster, K. Loeffler, page 116. And another account reads in Encyclopedia Britannica, 1936 edition, volume 1, page 858, quote, Bockhold, better known in history as John of Leyden, was now supreme. Giving himself out as the successor of David, he claimed royal honors and absolute power in the new Zion. He justified the most arbitrary and extravagant measures by the authority of visions from heaven, as others have done in similar circumstances. With this pretended sanction, he legalized polygamy and himself took four wives, one of whom he beheaded with his own hand in the marketplace in a fit of frenzy. As a natural consequence of such license, Munster was for 12 months a scene of unbridled profligacy, end quote. These biased accounts, however, were not supported by others who recorded a more peaceful home style among these polygamists. Polygamy is oftentimes used as an excuse for the lustful nature of men, but this apparently was not true of the Munsterites. Or Munsterites, sorry. (laughs) I was like, what? The Munsterites. Karncroft concurred, quote, nor was it even a question in theory, at least, of the men satisfying their sexual drive. The Anabaptists claimed, on on the contrary, that they were eliminating lust and thus returning to the state of sinlessness obtained before the fall. Not for nothing is the main doctrinal writing of the Munsterites by Rotman, called the Restitution, for its subject is precisely the restitution of all things, to the original purity of Eden before corruption entered the world. The aim of marriage, he wrote, is to beget children who will praise God for all eternity. Husband and wife marry to live according to God's love in order to beget their children and for no other reason. Only for this purpose did God create man and woman and unite them. This document is the first known apology for polygamy in Europe. When, therefore, such constant emphasis was laid on the need to increase the population, John and his colleagues were not simply following Luther's anti-celibacy line, but the key words, the principle that the world should be increased for God wanted to set up a new world with his people. The most rapid increase in the number of children conceived without sin in the New Jerusalem was an integral, sorry, an integral part of the Anabaptist millennial beliefs. Matthew's master Hoffman predicted that the advent of the new Jerusalem would be hastened if the elect would conceive without sin. In covenant purity, as before the fall, the 140 and 4,000 who were to be sealed according to one of the favorite texts of the millennialists, Revelations chapter 7, verse 4, and Rotman in a sermon in Munster Cathedral proclaimed that the saints should multiply as the sands of the sea. End quote. After polygamy was made a sin, pages two or er, twenty-six and tw- through twenty-seven. So this polygamous community was not a city of orgies, as many may have supposed, but one which attempted to live plurality with morality. One author of this history stated that sexual behavior was at first regulated strictly in a severely puritanical moral uh, morality. The end quote, the pursuit of millennium and cone, page 292. Um, this is right before page 136, if you wanted to say anything about all of that. No, I'm good. I, I love all this history, but I don't really have anything to say about it, other than it's interesting that, um, you know, these prophets are raised up and they all want to bring up about the millennium and the new the new Jerusalem. God is always trying to call a society of people to be obedient to his laws, and that never. So the only difference between them and Joseph Smith is that Joseph Smith received authority through the laying on of hands of the priesthood by John the, uh, John the Baptist and by Peter, James, and John. And then God wanted to restore the fullness of the priesthood himself by the laying on of his own hands upon Joseph Smith and upon 
all of the saints in the Nauvoo temple, and we know that didn't happen because the Father never came to that temple, and no angel ever came to that temple, and Jesus Christ didn't come to that temple. So, you know, but God's desire is to have a people who will be obedient to him and to raise up righteous children to him, and he uses polygamy as a, a way of doing that. And it seems like they understood those things. So, anyway, I'll mute myself. Okay. Karn Cross agreed, and, and after polygamy was made a sin, page 24, quote, In fact, Munster under Anabaptist rule, far from being the scene of wild orgies, was throughout a center of extremely austere morality. It's only crime in the sexual field by orthodox standards was to have introduced polygamy and a highly Puritan type at that, end quote. Divorce was granted on the basis of three reasons. Number one, if the woman was forced to marry. Two, if the man was impotent. Or if the third would be if the husband was an unbeliever. A woman with two husbands was put to death. One man who lived for wine and women was put to death. Even adultery and fornication were capital crimes. The monster standard of morality also advocated that men should not have intercourse with their wives while pregnant or menstruating. A barren woman was grounds for a man to take another wife. Many of their moral beliefs were substantiated in the books of the Bible. As King... John Bockelson proceeded to institute parades, parties, banquets, theatrical performances, and exciting dances, especially loved by the women. He fashioned a table on which he wrote the queen's names in order of precedence. John ultimately had 16 wives, but they were not very prolific as apparently he had only two children. In the beginning, there was considerable opposition by the first wives to this new practice of plural marriage. But later, many of them became the strongest advocates. It was recorded that the plural wives did much of the recruiting for new wives for their husbands, just as Sarah did for Abraham. There was even a type of honor and distinction that came to a man because of the number of wives he had. On one occasion, a particular preacher went around the tables asking the brethren how many wives each had. One man responded that he had four, whereupon the preacher said, God be praised, take precedence over me, for I have only three. Um, that's from the rebaptism of Munster K. Loeffler, page 159. The doctrine of plural marriage became as deeply planted into the minds and hearts of this people as it ever was with the Mormons. Carncross stated, there is no evidence of any serious opposition to polygamy on the part of the first wives and all of the wives. Gave the men strong backing in the defense of the town had there been any extensive opposition to the new form of marriage, it is clear that this would have been reported after polygamy was made a sin, page 16. Wives became good friends, and the second wives were stronger and happier because they were getting a husband that may not have had that they may not have had otherwise. News of the Munster community traveled fast, and finally Prince Philip of Hesse entered the town and reproached the citizens for their views on marriage. Ironically, the prince would later be the talk of the nation for taking a second wife himself. About this time, Luther proclaimed freedom for Catholic nuns to marry because their covenants were a mere provision of virginity. This, too, caused a new surplus of women eligible for polygamy. It was a strange thing because it was the woman who began the thrust for their rights of choosing husbands, married or not. Cross explained that the Anabaptist trump card in obtaining the woman's support was the crude mathematical fact that in February of 1534, there were at the very least three women of marriageable age to one man. And by October, the proportion may well have risen to four or even five to one. In the chaos that followed the, or the sectarian's assumption of power, many of the male unbelievers were driven out but left their wives behind to look after their businesses in the expectation that they, the men, would soon be back. Conversely, streams of sympathizers swept into the New Jerusalem, sometimes husbands without wives, 
that more often wives whose husbands had been killed or abandoned as infidels. Given the proportion of the sexes, the pressure for polygamy was bound to be almost irresistible, quite apart from doctrinal incentives. Many a woman, as a Catholic historian of the revolt has pointed out, preferred to share a husband than to have none at all. That's also from um, After Polygamy Was Made a Sin, page 11. Men were advocating plural marriage from a biblical and doctrinal standpoint, but it was generally being accepted more from practically, from practicality than because of doctrine. Marriage was a new opportunity for many of the nuns in the covenant and in the convent, sorry, and they were anxious to take advantage. Oh, sorry, my phone just messed up. Um, so now I have to find my place again. I guess I could say something while you're looking for your place. Thanks, sorry. Um, so all of these people um, that were living these laws, they get them from the scriptures. Uh, the whole idea that you're not supposed to sleep with your wife while she's menstruating or pregnant, that comes from scripture. Although I don't believe that comes from God. And just because it's in scripture doesn't mean it's from God. But uh, I actually am privy to some information where in the book of Lehi it talks about how King Josiah, when they found the law of the Lord in the temple, which is a historical event that did happen after, uh, after like 100 years of not even having scripture in the Jewish temple, uh, one of the high priests under the reign of King Josiah found uh, Torah scrolls. And uh, they convened a council, according to the Book of Lehi, and uh, in the, the school of the prophets at the time was uh, the prophet Jeremiah and uh, Lehi and all of these guys. They actually talked about how this is more, what they did was worse than anything they could have ever done, which is what, what they did was they convened a council of high priests with King Josiah and they added many vain and foolish things to the Torah that were not in the Torah to begin with, all these laws and stuff. So the original laws were not 613. They were actually very uh, way less, more simple laws. So you also have to understand that King Josiah was 21 years old when Nebo, the king of Egypt, killed him. And it was interesting how he died was he was on the battlefield with, um, with the Egyptian armies and the king of Egypt shot an arrow straight, like not straight up into the air, but way up into the air. And it landed in between, the, the arrow went down in between the helmet and the breastplate and the shoulder plate. It pierced through the fleshy part of the neck and went down into his heart, and he died when he was 21. So all of these immature, foolish laws about, oh, you can't be with your wife when whatever, or she has to sleep in another bed, or you can't even sit on the chair that she sits on if she's menstruating. Like, these are actually in the Torah as part of the 613 laws, and I don't believe them at all for one second. I believe they were added by an immature 20, 19, 20-year-old 20 king with these high priests and that they added many vain and foolish things to Torah. So even though I am in uh, a study, I am a, I don't know, I study Torah, I try to understand what is right and what is wrong. I do not believe that some of these things that they were doing, even though they were in Scripture, are from God. I believe that they are no further notice. Yeah, well, thank you. All right. Uh, that, uh, for people that don't know, I drive a cold truck. I'm driving right now. <laughs> now everybody can hear and you. Other, yeah. people, <laughs> other people, they like to talk to me when I'm driving because they don't know I'm doing a radio show. I mean, I've got a headset on, so but they don't know. Anyway, 
apparently we're only allowed to load out of loadout A until further notice, which is fine because I don't care. So anyway, did you find your place, Kim? Yeah, I did. Okay, I'll mute myself and then uh, I'll just listen. Okay, you're fine. Thanks. Uh, sorry about that. I guess my phone resets or something at, at this time. <laughs> we're on the radio show because it changed. It only happens okay. when we're on the radio show. It does because I don't recall it happening any other time. So uh, anyway, um, okay. So just a little recap: men were advocating plural marriage from a biblical and doctrinal standpoint, but it was generally being accepted more from practically um, practicality than because of doctrine. Marriage was a new opportunity for many of the nuns in the covenants, and they were anxious to take advantage of it. Carncross stated, a week later, the nuns from another, a second convent, abandoned the veil on the pretext of producing offspring and pressed to be allowed to endure the yoke of marriage. Nor did the enthusiasm of the woman slack when polygamy was introduced. On the contrary, it was they who brought up the guns Really? Uh, somehow I ended up with all your TikTok videos in front of my face instead. Yeah. <laughs> I need to remember to bless the house again when I come home. Uh, Sorry. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> I found it, but it it was, just, it's like... It's so stupid because, like, okay, so Satan has control over the air. And I don't know if it means he's got control over the airwaves or the signals or what, but it seems like whenever we try to do the shows, we have all kinds of computer glitches and cell phones resetting and all kinds of stupid things that never happen unless we're doing the show. Like, seriously, Kim and I can be talking for hours as I'm doing my job, and no problem. Don't have any problems. Other than the normal... Yeah, but as soon as we get on the radio show, her phone's going all over the place, just willy-nilly for no reason at all. My my phone does it. My tablet does it. Like, we, it's just stupid. Like, Satan knows that I'm not going to shut up, so he's got to try to shut me up in any way that he can. So, And he doesn't like it when we do these. These are basically just home studies, and we're just sharing them with the world. You know, no big deal. Just sharing our our home scripture and history study with the world. Uh, He don't like it because when you raise your head up to oppose the devil's kingdom and to educate people, oh, he does not like it at all. One bit. I'm like basically, if I am who I say I am, I'm his number one, uh, like, target. And I've been his number one target my whole life. He's been in my whole life, all my life. My wife, well, Kim, well, I'll just say this. All of my family members have seen Satan. My little brother was in the room when he tried to come and do the whole angel of light thing, and I cast him out and told him to get the heck out of there when I was, like, 14. Uh, you know, I, my son saw him back in 2013. Kim's seen him. Uh, you know, when I first started... When he when I first got rebaptized to start my ministry, oh, he was pretty upset, you know. So he doesn't try to appear to us after I told him to get lost, and I I I was like talking to him, and he, you know, I, the only time I've ever been able to talk to him, and he's been, uh, you know, he actually responds with something coherent. But uh, we were talking, and I was like, I don't know why you're trying to bother me. You got such a short time left. You know, why don't you go out and do the other things that you've got to do and leave me alone? Because I'm not going to stop doing what I've been commanded to do. And he's like, oh, you're right. He's kind of moping around. But, like, this is just him and his stupidity. You know, he doesn't want us to talk, so he tries to do these stupid things to get us, to shut us up in one way or the other. You know, so, uh, but we're not going to stop. I don't care what he says. He'll, he's going to have to get people to put me to death, and he ain't going to be able to do that until God takes his hand off of me and allows that to happen, which will happen at some point in the future, but it, it's not going to happen now, so he can get bent. <laughs> All right, I'll mute myself. 
Okay. Let's see. Okay. I'm just making sure I'm back at the same one because that is kind of repetitive. Okay, nor did the enthusiasm. Oh, my goodness. All that rest of that time, it was fine. It was on the right thing. And I started to read, and then it stopped. (laughs) This is so frustrating. Okay. Satan's got to do what Satan's got to do, and we got to do what we got to do, and that's just the way it is. (laughs) (laughs) Let's try this again. On the contrary, it was they who brought up the guns to batter in the doors of the town hall where the rebels against the new form of marriage had dug themselves in. Um, That's page 11 of the same book. And again, on that page, it said, the Karn Cross added, given the proportion of the sexes, the pressure for polygamy was bound to be almost irresistible, quite apart from the doctrinal incentives. A flood of women were available because of the Catholic-Protestant wars, and some men were so eager to take more wives that certain restrictions had to be placed on them. The historian Gresbeck commented that when a woman did not get a confirmation of a marriage proposal, the man usually did. Some young girls, too young, became the victims of this mad dash to acquire wives. A proper and wise rule was adopted that a lady had the privilege of choosing her own husband. The Catholics and Protestants had seriously clashed on doctrine until it became a clash of arms. The Peasants' Revolt of the 20s was actually a revolutionary war. These Christians who believed in praying for their enemies and turning the other cheek put aside their religion to baptize each other in their own blood. The Protestants thought the Catholics were heathen apostates, and the Catholics thought, The Protestants were the heathen apostates. Actually, they were both right. However, when they saw the people of Munster adopt the practice of polygamy, they felt a worst enemy had arisen. They believed such a system might be contagious and would put an end to their craft. So these two bitter enemies made peace with each other and united to destroy the polygamists. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. Isn't it interesting that a church, whether they're Catholic or Protestant or whatever, they always have to rise up against somebody who claims to be a prophet. They don't claim to be prophets, them, prophets themselves. And the only way that they can get uh, proper in, uh, doctrine, a proper interpretation of Scripture, is to get revelation to know what God's interpretation is. You know, But they don't do that, but then they condemn everybody else who has any revelation at all as the worst enemy, when they're the worst enemy. Because what they do is they rest the scriptures and they interpret scriptures and mingle their own ideas, thoughts, and, and opinions with the scripture and say, ah, oh, this is what the scripture means. But they don't get revelation. And they even say, well, we don't believe in prophets anymore. Well, that's kind of weird because there was prophets in the New Testament. You know, that's kind of weird that uh, Jesus Christ says to have a testimony of Jesus Christ comes by the spirit of prophecy. But, you know, no prophets. And then when a prophet rises up like myself or Joseph Smith or anybody else, uh, you know, oh, those are the worst guys because because they're getting revelation. Now, I understand Timothy, uh, Paul talked about, uh, you know, you've got to try the spirits for many false prophets. Have, have gone forth in the world, and there are false prophets, people who get revelation by the wrong source. That's why God does the whole thing of confirmation of the Spirit by the gifts of the Holy Ghost, and the fruit of the Holy Ghost being listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is peace, joy, love, and these type of things, so that you can get confirmation that what you are receiving is from God. But they don't want to do that. They just want to, and they say, oh, solo scriptura, but then they twist the scriptures to whatever they want it to mean instead of what it actually means. And the only reason, the only way that they would ever know what it means is by getting revelation. But, oh, you can't do that. That's because they're, they they're full of the doctrines of men and demons. Anyway, go ahead. 
The news of polygamy in Munster aroused panic in all of Germany and created terror among the Christians. Their solution was to create another war, and every polygamist that was captured was tortured, turned on the wheel, burned, drowned, stabbed, or beheaded. It was a new era in which the lives of Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Gideon, and many other prophets would have been in moral danger from the Christians. The reports of this re- religious order defending themselves reads like a masterpiece of military victories. The idea of preparing for the second advent gave the mo- movement its strength and stimulated the revolutionists of Munster to resist for a year and a half the miseries of a siege and then all the forces which Germany could bring against them. Uh, that is the Cambridge. Cambridge Modern History, Volume 2, page 226. Since Munster was a town of 15,000 inhabitants with only 100 or 1,500 able to bear arms of warfare, it was amazing that they could hold out against much greater forces. It would have taken uncommon cooperation, organization, and, de- and determination to make such a defense of their own homes, families, and beliefs. Both men and women defended their polygamous faith with their lives, but unfortunately, this grandstand program was short-lived. About a year after it started, it was doomed. In January 1535, their persecutors sealed off the town from the outside world, and provisions were cut off. Starvation set in, some escaped, and others were captured. On June 24, 1535, the attackers forced entry into the town. The overwhelming odds against them soon reduced their defense force to only 300 able-bodied men. Oh, sorry, this small remnant decided to surrender rather than have their wives and children all massacred. The Christian victors took all 300 captives outside the city and killed them off one by one. Deveria, John Beckelson's second wife, was told to recant her beliefs, and when she refused, they beheaded her. John himself was captured, paraded around, and exhibited like a strange animal as the man, man who had so many lives. Then they tortured him, trying to force him to deny his revelation on polygamy, but he would not give in. He said he had probably offended man, but not God in that belief, and that better several wives than several whores, he pleaded. Let God be judged, be judged between us, but they wouldn't allow that. He was tied to a stake with the Nipper Dolink and another rebel leader, and tortured to death with red-hot tongs amidst the rejoicing and applause of the Catholic audience. As the Lutheran eyewitness recorded uneasily, John endured his ordeal with heroic fortitude, without a sound and not a movement, until he was dead. After polygamy was made a sin, Carncross, page 21. It was said that his persecutors had demanded that he deny his revelation on plural marriage, but with every jab of a hot poker, he refused to tell them what they demanded. Without ever denying his revelation, and in the midst of several of severe pain and suffering, he expired faithful to the end to his conviction of plural marriage. Thus passed the people with a principle. Their enemies were too heat or heathenish to live it, and they didn't want anyone else living it either. From triumph to tragedy, from heaven to hell, that little band of people defended the doctrine of plural marriage to the bitter end. Oh, sorry, to the bitter end. Tragically, similar sacrifices were recorded in history 300 years later among the Latter-day Saints. The Anabaptists had gained an enormous following and threatened to su- or supplant the other churches, especially the Rhine Valley and in the Netherlands. Because of their views, they, would be, they were branded by Catholics and Protestants alike as heretical, and seditious. Ultimately, the death penalty was imposed upon all Anabaptists throughout the empire with Lutheran concurrence. In Germany, the Anabaptists were exterminated or expelled. They survived elsewhere. However, as Mennonites and the Hutterin, the Hutterin, Hutterin brethren, sorry, that's from American People's Encyclopedia, volume 15, page 487. Even though the Anabaptists and the Munster community were quite radical and different in many ways from the early Latter-day Saints of 300 years later, there are some striking similarities that are interesting to note. Um, before I tell you these, we're going to be on page 142. Did you have anything to say? 
I suppose not. Either that or he cannot hear me. John Layden took his plural wife exactly 300 years before the time that Joseph Smith took his. John proclaimed his society was the beginning of a restitution of sound Christian doctrine. Joseph claimed a restoration of it. John advocated he was preparing the people for the coming of the millennium and establishing a new Jerusalem. Joseph tried to do the same. John considered his people the elect and advocating their gathering together for the protection from the destructions to come. So did Joseph. John attempted a program of unity of their temporal means, so there would be no poor among them. Joseph attempted to establish a united order for the same purpose. John introduced a program to have everyone rebaptized, just as Joseph did. John's followers were from the poorer class of people who believed in puritanical sexual morals with the purpose of having large families, just as with Joseph Smith and his followers. John taught the members to have faith, works, and the Holy Spirit so they could receive the gifts of dreams, visions, and revelation. So did Joseph. John said he was establishing a a theocracy that should gradually spread to all communities and nations. Joseph did the same. And then staring at all your YouTube videos now. Goodness. But at least I know what page that I was on. Okay. John said he was establishing a theocracy that should gradually spread to all communities and nations. Joseph did the same. John ordained men to the office of kings and women as queens, just as Joseph did. John received a revelation supporting the doctrine of plural marriage, and so did Joseph. John wrote and adopted 12 articles of their faith. Joseph wrote 13. John was considered and hailed as a prophet, just as was Joseph. John believed in a temple of the Lord, and so did Joseph. John had 12 apostles for the ruling ministry of their church, just as Joseph did. John believed that as a religious leader, he should be a prophet for the people and should receive revelation, just as the prophet Joseph did. John and his people received persecution from the Catholics and Protestants, just as Joseph did. John supported the idea that Jerusalem would be built other than at Palestine. So did Joseph. John knew that his life and the lives of his followers were in danger from the Christians. So he formed a military force with himself as commander in chief. So did Joseph as commander of the Nauvoo Legion. John was persecuted and tortured by his Christian enemies and finally became a martyr to his faith. And so is Joseph Smith. After completing the job of killing off the polygamists, the Catholics and Protestants went back to making war against each other. These continual attacks intensified until they developed into what was known as the 30-Year War. It was a strange name for a warfare that actually existed for centuries. Nations were involved, and through the centuries, their religion included new and better tactics for killing each other by the technical advancement of military power and machines. World War I and II both displayed this same spirit in which Christian brothers sent each other to heaven by gunpowder and steel. But in spite of their differences, history has shown that they will once again make a peaceful alliance to kill polygamists. So that is the end of the reading. Next time tomorrow um, we will be reading chapter 13 the reformers polygamy more secret than public and that will begin with this um, i'll give you a little bit of a hold precursor on, hold, on, hold on hold on okay okay yeah. okay <laughs> yep okay all right okay guest call in lines are open it's 917 mm-hmm. 889-8827 uh, you can read this text at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. Also in the podcast description, there is a link to where the book is so you can read the whole book for free to uh, on, online at but that link is there for anybody who wants to listen. If we have any callers after... Yeah, two, two, six, two. Uh, 
Tampa. Thank you. Anyway, if we have any callers after uh, the uh, the preview for tomorrow, we'll take those calls. If not, we'll go straight to the music, and that'll be the end of the podcast for today. Uh, before we end, whatever uh, we are, are there is a another thing that I do like to let people know about. If you go to Doctrine of Christ on YouTube, they're doing a live stream right now of a lesson. I love their lessons, but they stopped doing, you know, call-ins. So uh, I just figured, oh, I'll listen to it later. So anyway, but if you wanted to go over there and take a look at that, uh, those things, there, there's some pretty interesting stuff there. So, all right, I'm going to mute myself. You can finish the preview and then like I said if we have any guest callers then we'll take them if not that's fine and uh, I'll let you know one way or the other as soon as we get to that last or that first page of the next chapter and I'll mute myself okay (laughs) I'll read really slow because it's actually just a paragraph (laughs) it is the reformers polygamy more secret than public um And it says, the Reformation supposedly started about 1517, but many men before then had preached, written, and given their lives in support of a reform in the Catholic Church. The Reformation caused a split in the church because of their many changed and perverted doctrines. Besides all their errors in doctrine, history, and ordinances, the church had ventured into money-making programs to gain greater wealth. The popes received and wallowed in more riches than the kings and emperors. And that's the end of that. And that is exactly like every religion, religious body of people on the earth. All of them. The leaders are protected by the people who follow them to do everything that these religious leaders want them to do. And the religious leaders are more wealthy. They live off of the people, and the people help them to become wealthy and will give them tithing or whatever it is that they feel like they should be doing or giving to these people on the earth. That's what they do. It's like a, it's just like the way that man sees God and religion. And it's done across the board yep. with all of them. Yeah, it's it always happens. So um, mm-hmm. I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, I've had people asking me about tithing on my TikTok. Uh, uh-huh. You can follow that TikTok page by searching Fundamentally Mormon. Anyway, but uh, yeah, I, I have a problem with, so, and God has a problem with this too. Uh, it's called, he calls it grinding the faces of the poor where these leaders will take the money of the tithing and instead of, uh, you know, helping the, the sick and the poor and all of this, they, they'll do that to a point. Like the LDS church, they take 10% of the money that they get and they uh, invest it in humanitarian services. And that's commendable, but where's their soup kitchens? Well, they don't have any. You know, and they use tithing uh, and helping people to manipulate them. You know, so um, I have a problem with this. I have a problem with pastors and prophets getting rich and living lavishly off of tithes. Um, I believe in work and a job, (laughs) you know, but these people, they don't believe in that sort of thing. Now, the tithing was instituted to help out the Levitical um, priests and stuff. Hold on, i got to write down my numbers. I'm just getting loaded up uh, at the coal mine. Uh, three tube coming down, and i got to announce that because I have to go down the hill, and there's only one way to get in and one way to get out. All right. Can I hawk my horn? All right, but, um, yeah, I have a huge problem with that because, like, that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to 
take care of each other. But uh, so the whole idea that God uses tithing to um, to help or to like support the work of the ministry, that is true. But you know what? Abraham paid tithes to the king Melchizedek, who was Shem. Shem didn't need that money, but God instituted tithing before that. So, but, uh, but Melchizedek had his wealth by what he did apart from the ministry work that he did. You know, and like myself, I work. I'm working right now, if you couldn't tell. If you could, could you hear the horn? <laughs> yeah, I could. I heard it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So um, I believe in work. Uh, God told Adam to work by the sweat of his brow. That's part of the. That's part of the gospel. You know. Yeah, we're both and, workers. Uh, the last time you announced that yeah. on one of your things, it was kind of funny because then people, there was more than one of your followers supposed or they what is it they assumed they made an ass of themselves <laughs> um and assumed <laughs> that i was like a stay at home um living off of you not even doing anything kind of wife well which is even totally... if, even when you were even when you did just stay home you always work yeah because just stayed at home yeah work. it's so funny <laughs> It is. It's a lot of work, and uh, moving is a lot of work, and all of the things. But um, I'm actually a little bit uh, all over the place with things. So I do work. I'm a teacher, and I also like to farm goats, and I roped my husband into having a farm with me, and we do goats and chickens, and we have dogs and cats and a tortoise. <laughs> and, uh, a tortoise. Yeah, and we do and a bunch a of stuff. Rat. You should have seen this mouse. This freaking thing was like the size of a baseball jumping around all over the place yesterday. Kim was like, what is that? And I'm like, I think that's a kangaroo rat, which I didn't even know. And then our chicken tried to eat it. Oh, yeah, our chicken, Mr. Velociraptor himself. By the way, don't come on our property. You'll get attacked by Velociraptor chicken roosters. Yeah, he's crazy. Oh, my gosh. He He's doesn't like me because I chase him around and I'll pick him up and pet him, but he chases everyone else. He don't pick, he don't pick me, though. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I wrote my husband into all of this stuff and beekeeping and, you know, the whole nine yards because that's what I do. Yeah. Oh, I'm coming down from the mine, so I might be breaking up a little oh. bit here for a minute. Okay. Anyway, so my husband is a workaholic, so he works all the time. And I am I, not a workaholic. <laughs> I don't like he to work. I do it because it it's necessary. Uh-huh. <laughs> So, yeah. Um, what was I saying? Oh, so, yeah, we both do a whole bunch of things. And um, kind of like a hobbyist, too, I like to um, learn things. I love to garden. And then when I decided to have goats, it deterred me from gardening. Because <laughs> my goats ate all my garden. And it was so frustrating. Um, so, yeah, this year. Yeah. <laughs> they escaped, and then they ate my tomato um, plants, all of them. And then a different one escaped. Everything and else. that one ate all my tomato plants and everything. And then I was like, fine. And I replanted it. We fixed the cages. Because, you know, if you first you don't succeed, you try and try again. So then we planted more. And then we had a storm of... Um, hail come through and ruin all of my plants. And then I was like, okay, this time I'm not putting it in the ground. That way we can move them. So I put them in pots, plants, like right out front, and then it froze. 
and it wasn't supposed to be. We were having like 80 degree weather, and then all of a sudden we had a, a crazy freeze. We put a greenhouse up. That was actually a year ago last week that yeah. that happened. Yep. Yep. It was so crazy. So then it deterred me from you know, anything from wanting to plant. I'm like, I'm not doing any of it anymore. And now I'm like, we're going to land. And then we got a greenhouse. (laughs) Yeah, there was We got a greenhouse. Crazy. Yeah, and then (laughs) my daughters went into our field where we had our neighbor's horses uh, eating, you know, because we got four acres of pasture, whatever. And the daughters left the gate open. The horses got out and ran up alongside of the greenhouse and collapsed the greenhouse. Oh, yeah, it's all fun. So I work and work and work, and we tried to use that money to be self-sufficient and do the things that we need to do. We're trying. (laughs) Yeah, we're trying. (laughs) Anyway, all right, well, we'll be back on tomorrow. What was the – I couldn't hear – what was the chapter, the next chapter that we're going to be taking care of tomorrow? Oh, I think it's chapter 11. What's the name of of the chapter? Um, Hold on, I have to get back into it. And, of course, my phone is, like, glitching while I'm trying to click on things. Hold on. I'm going into it. (laughs) Here we go. Okay. So this time was 12, so it'll be chapter 13. Um, will be the next chapter, and it is the reformers polygamy more secret than public. Oh, ooh, this is going to be some good stuff. We're going to get into tomorrow, <laughs> so I can't wait. All right, well, uh, I'll give you a call after the radio show, and I'll cue the music. And uh, well, we'll talk to everyone tomorrow around eight o'clock is when we're going to try to do these. So. Thank you for reading, Kim. You're welcome. Care, everyone. What? I said you're welcome. Oh, it sounded like you were screaming. Oh, no. Good grief. No, no. All right. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> if I can find the music here. All right. Here it goes. All right. Take care, everyone. God bless and goodbye. Go ahead and mute yourself, Kim. Yeah.